0: And welcome back to Rocket Pod. On today's show, we're joined by James Church. James is the author of Investable Entrepreneur, a must-read for those budding entrepreneurs that are starting their fundraising journey. He's also the co-founder of Robot Mascot. Uh, Robot Mascot is a full-service brand agency specializing in helping entrepreneurs get investment ready and pitching the, the first meeting. Um, to actually creating investment decks and business plans to help these entrepreneurs raise the you know the right capital at the right time and kind of be a, that be that strategic partner. James um, in his own business is is very much an integrator in the sense that um, he executes upon the vision of his co-founder at Robot Mascot and they've really scaled um, a successful lifestyle business. So we learn a little bit about his own entrepreneurial journey uh, and also um, some of the characteristics that entrepreneurs need to be successful um, and distinguishing between the different types of businesses excited to have you on the show James welcome welcome James how are you doing this morning
1: yeah no brilliant thank you thank, thanks for having me thrilled thrilled to be here
0: yeah I'm particularly excited to have James on Rocket Pod this morning uh, as uh, he's actually written um, one of my favorite books Investable Entrepreneur and uh, we've known each other James for what well, several years maybe four years yeah. three years three or four years yeah it's
1: a while now I, uh, yeah Definitely. Yeah,
0: and I think if I recall, I think we met through a mutual friend of ours, Daniel Priestley, and it was when you were just getting Robot Mascot started. And um... yeah,
1: yeah, I think it was just as we were pivoting from from kind of a brand led agency to an investment readiness agency, which is a perhaps a story for another day. But yeah, we were just sort of pivoting there. Kind of um, Daniel was supporting us with some of that, and and yeah, that that uh, ended up uh, with us meeting.
0: I think what would be helpful for our listeners James um is if you it'd be really nice to know about your your entrepreneurial journey um and to kind of give us um, an idea of kind of where you came from what kind of what was that spark and maybe some folks on the way that have had influenced you on this um entrepreneurial path so if we go right back to when you were a child where you grew up yeah so why don't we start there um, yeah, and just okay. to just and just to the the reason why I'm going this way is that a lot of our listeners Are um, yeah between eighteen and thirty, and I think part of Rocket Pod Podcast is really to you know inspire these young people and anyone really any any walk of life to kind of take that first step to following uh, their dreams. I guess uh, whether that's in business or in life in general. So um, it's just helpful for us to know kind of where you came from.
1: Yeah, so I mean I I had a um, yeah fairly fairly ordinary upbringing. My my father was a was a postman that had sort of pushed his way through from kind of uh a delivery boy on a bike all the way through to sort of senior senior management ended up actually being awarded an mbe for the work that he did through with the post office um oh wow so so he kind of really um yeah, he he was a hard worker and 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 you know left school at, at sort of fifteen and then worked his way up through through into sort of senior management and and kind of launched some of the the post office's services. One of them was was sort of Cashco, which is like uh, moving kind of expensive goods and like jewelry and and money around the country. He was involved in the launch and the management of that. So so I guess um, although he wasn't an entrepreneur as such, I guess that that work ethic and and that kind of that drive to always kind of succeed and achieve more probably came from came from him my mother was a nurse um so it was a fairly ordinary upbringing in in kind of the the suburbs of Norwich um in the east of England um and yeah I guess I got my my kind of drive from from my dad um and then you know as as long as I can remember I, I always kind of felt entrepreneurial in some way I was I was always I was always into design and 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 creating things and I used to I used to kind of just create brands and, and draw logos and and sort of invent new new sort of brands for products as a as a kid I used to sort of draw a lot and so so I think there was always sort of an entrepreneurial streak in me although I didn't know that at the time And then ended up sort of studying design and and studying graphic design and, and branding and ended up uh in, in the branding industry um after university. Um and that's where I really started to sort of see a bit more about businesses and, and businesses starting and businesses kind of building their brands and and scaling and and yeah always really interested not just in the design side of things but actually kind of ended up talking to clients about kind of more of the operational side of business and and really kind of getting involved with that. So so I quickly learned that compared to my peers other the graphic designers um it was more than just about design for me it wasn't about just making things look pretty I had quite a good mm-hmm. understanding and grasp and interest in kind of how businesses operate and and kind of why they're doing this and and how they're how they're growing and that kind of thing and 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 so yeah it's sort of those sorts of experiences kind of led me to so being quite, quite entrepreneurial, I, I at university was when I sort of first launched a business, I, I was doing kind of freelance projects at university for small businesses and, and startups within the university campus and that kind of okay. thing. design projects. I remember having a conversation with my my dad in a pub kind of before I went to university and he was, you know, that kind of like, what you expect from life conversation? Um, And, and I remember there saying like, I want to have my own business one day, my own design agency. I thought I wanted at at the time, Um, but I always had this kind of idea of having my own business and being my own boss. Um, So it's it's always just sort of been something I've been interested in. I think Um, uh, I'm not really sure exactly why, but, but that's, that's kind of where it all, all came from. And, and, yeah, through kind of experiences with, with working uh, in, in the branding industry, I kind of, you know, tried to make that happen and go, yeah, this is what I want to do. So my now business partner, Nick, um, we met, he was a creative director, freelance creative director at an agency that I, that I had my first job at. Mm-hmm. We got, both got um, made redundant through that agency because of uh, they, they fell on hard times. Uh, so we decided to set up our own agency um, and we called it Craft Associates and it was a massive failure massive like we had no idea how to run a business like we knew how to (laughs) find great brands and we created ourselves this awesome brand and we kind of it was kind of like a build it and they will come story you know the build it and they will come mentality and it was just kind of we created this agency spent loads of time and effort in building this brand and all these brochures and pulling together a portfolio and all of this stuff but then like how do we get it in front of people how do we get clients and and we had no idea really so we did a few projects for some for some friends um and then it kind of just petered out it was just like how do we get business and and ultimately we had to go back and get some jobs and and actually um actually pave our way so I I went off and did some more freelancing um and my my business partner went off and, and got a job as a creative director at an agency then about three years later, we we had a conversation in a pub. Um, Nick had been made redundant again, um, for at this time due to his own success. He'd he'd created a campaign, an advertising campaign at an agency, that generated like a billion dollars in in revenue. Or, or oh my goodness! Along those lines, and and the agency was the, the the client was therefore booked up for two years. But they were paying <laughs> the agency a retainer, and they're like, we don't need to do any more advertising for two years as a result of this campaign. But we're going to keep the contract with you and pay the retainer because we will need you in the future and it's only fair. Um, but the agency didn't go, well, let's keep this incredible talent and go and win a new client and do the same again. They went, brilliant, we're being paid a retainer for two years and don't have to do any work. Let's lay everyone off. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so he got made redundant due to his own success. Started robot mascot as a as a kind of a, a freelancer um, uh, in his bedroom. And then asked me to come and join him about eighteen months later, and I jumped at the chance. Um, and and we built Robot Mascot from from there together, um, which started life as a brand agency, and then and then over time pivoted towards investment readiness which is which is what we do now so so that's kind of uh the the story it's always you know it's not been an easy road to, to get here we, we spent about five years with robot mascot with sort of fairly stagnating growth just about enough to pay ourselves loads of stories where you know just one lucky conversation led to a client and we were just about able to to keep the business afloat Um, And then we spotted this opportunity for investment readiness. We spotted that we had a real skill for for helping founders raise investment. Research that went through the proper process of kind of Testing and validation and product market fit, and before we jumped and, and built everything, we did little pilots and little tests. Realised that we had some a formula that worked, um, and that's what got us the attention of our growth advisor Daniel, who introduced us to each other, Daniel Priestley, and and with his support and advice, we've been able to then rapidly grow over the last yeah. three years from from there. So even Robot Mascot itself, when you look back, it was five years of struggle to get to the point where you found that thing that that you know and then it's liftoff and and you've learned all of those experiences of all those failures and all those all those nearly nearly failures um resulted in in us being able to find a niche and then really um really explode as a business as a as a result
0: okay that's really well thank you for um explaining that so it sounds like so you and nick have um i actually think i may have met nick at the london stock exchange i think you have at yes summer talk. a yeah and um so from memory he is quite high energy, quite charismatic character. And I, yeah, I, I remember f- feeling um, yeah, drawn, to him. Him. Yeah, drawn to him. Yeah, drawn to him. And uh, so it seems like the, the the partnership that you've created together, uh, would you say that he's more visionary and you're more integrator? Because just from your operational yes. background, you basically more of that engineer, that structure. That, you know, why is this working? Almost like understanding What's important, and then putting the story together whether it. it's a narrative with brand, um, and then I mean I think that's probably I mean I've read your book, so I'm, I guess I'm cheating a bit, yeah. but um, there <laughs> is a you do have a a, a process that you go through, um, and it mm. sounds like you both compliment one another. Is it is there any Absolutely. crossover? Because for, for those folks out there, I mean obviously so, there's a lot of solo solopreneurs out there that you know quite often you have to do everything yourself. Um, but can you talk about your the dynamic? between your partnership because I think that's kind of helpful yeah. for our listeners.
1: Yeah, I think this is something that comes up with a lot of the founders I speak to as well is kind of, do I need a co-founder? And and my answer is always like, no, you don't, but it's great to have one if you can. And but that co-founder should be someone that you you really trust and you really know. And you know, this is like a marriage. Right. There's mm-hmm. gonna be ups, there's gonna be downs, you're gonna fall out, you're gonna have to make up again. And if it's someone that that you've just brought in because you need someone technical on the team to to build your vision, and you don't have that underlying relationship and that trust and the the idea that you're you're going to do this together and have each other's back, then it can quickly fall down and end up in in the business failing because the founders have a different uh, different opinion and, and go their separate ways. So it can be quite risky to bring on a co-founder because you've been told that you you're more likely to succeed. Yeah, because you've got a, f- a co-founder um and actually when you look at the data um sole founding teams are more successful than co-founding teams in the longer term um hmm. so so despite this myth going around if you're raising investment it's easier to do that if you've got a co-founder and that that is true but it actually this it's this strange myth that's been perpetuated by the investment community with no real data to back that up um other than the fact that big big accelerators like why Combinator had that as part of their criteria at one point. So that's kind of spread the rumor. Um, and then when you look at some data, it's actually sole founding businesses are just as successful, if not more successful than, than um, co-founding businesses. So I would say it's not a necessity, but it's great to have, but you have to have that relationship because there's been times where, where me and Nick have, have had big arguments, big rows, fallen out, but then, you know, you get back together, you have a drink and, and, and kind of, realize that that's just business and there's still the fundamental friendship there you know nick was best man at my wedding like we're, we're friends first business partners second um and and that allows there to be a really solid solid foundation but but in terms of dynamic as well again probably much like a marriage is that you complement each other if you've got different personality types but you're all you're focusing towards the same vision so nick's very much a visionary. Very much an ideas man um, who who kind of sketches stuff out and has loads of ideas. And then it's my job to go, right, these ones are worth pursuing. These ones we could probably table for now. Here's how we're going to make these ones work strategically. Here's how it fits into the overall blueprint and and I'm more of the the operational mind that then kind of brings these things to life. So it was Nick's insight that originally uh, saw us pivot to the um, to to the investment readiness agency. It was him sitting at a at a startup pitch event and realizing noticing this this term he's coined called the zombie stare. Where all of the investors just have this blank, glazed-over look when founders are <laughs> pitching their idea, and he was like, "There's a massive communication problem here. We're experts in communication; like, we should be able to help these founders get their message across and and raise the mm-hmm. investment they need." And then it was someone like myself who went away and did the research to to back up that that insight, formulated the process, and and understood how we can then take what we know which is brand communication and turn that into a methodology and a process that's going to deliver results every time for our clients and, and make them 40 times more successful to raise investment and and you know you know our clients have raised over 200 million to date you know that comes from the process we've created from nick's initial insight and it's so it's those kind of matching that visionary and that idea with with that operational kind of blueprint and and being able to turn that into a into a structured business and, and systems and processes is something I never never thought when I went to university and studied graphic design was something that I was going to be excited by because it sounds really mm-hmm. boring right when you talk about systems and processes but but I've become really excited by systemizing processes and, and documenting things so that anyone can pick up this part of the process and execute on it and we can bring in team members and on board them and mm about what to do and how to do it and in what order and i found i found that really fascinating to learn as a as an entrepreneur how to create an efficient process to to execute on this and at scale
0: that's that's fascinating so it sounds like the visionary so the visionary piece that yeah you've got a, yeah, a complementary skill set um and actually you can But between the two of you you found a way to execute upon this vision uh, for robot mascot and and beyond yeah um and then Sharing some of these best practices or the process with, with these entrepreneurs. I mean, raising two hundred million, you know, over quite a short period of time. I mean, that must yeah, been that is. must be in the last few years is yeah. uh, is an incredible incredible success. Uh, and yeah. uh, but a lot, lot of hard work. Like you said, it wasn't always easy. Um, also, you touched on. So you you were friends. So if if he was your best man at your wedding, because there is because I I think it's a myth that needs to be busted in the sense that you know the um a lot of people say, yo, you, you know, you can't go into business with friends, but I would say, and it'd be kind of interesting to, uh, to kind of debate this a little bit. So I I think it's true in the sense that you wouldn't want to go into business with any friend, but clearly this, this business partnership works. And you, and I, you did note that your friendship comes first, your business second. And, and that's, uh, that's quite, well, it must must be quite challenging sometimes when you're kind of in the throes of uh, things but well, yeah. maybe not um yeah, so I you've mean, made it work
1: through, through the pivot of from brands to to um investment readiness there there's obviously you know there was there was definite tension because there was me kind of producing this book and and you know obviously it was Nick's original insight and and there was definitely tension there we needed to work through um things aren't easy um and but you have to always remind yourself and each other that this is for the greater the greater good if you like the kind of this is for us and not me um Mm -hmm. just because there's a personal brand there doesn't it's it's to benefit us and when you start to see the results of that and you start to see the growth and you start to see the cash in the bank that that then starts to reaffirm that that what we're doing is right and and it's just uh, get you know being clear on how you know with each other about how you know, how you feel about things and and have being able to be honest and, and open about those about those difficulties I think and and yeah there's definitely been challenges in the journey I'm not going to say it's all all a bed of roses but um, yeah you know we had a strong working relationship that turned into a friendship so remember he was the creative director at the agency I had my first job at so it was a working relationship first and we had a good yep. creative partnership yep. in the agency that yep. turned into friendship that then turned into us first having a business and failing and then going our separate ways for a few years working in different places and then coming back together and working together again and then setting up this business or mm-hmm. nick bringing me in when he set up this business and so there, it, it's been a, an evolution of over over time and and yeah it like like any relationship right you, you 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 meet and then you build. You build more depth to that to that relationship. So
0: I think the trust piece, and
1: and that's why it always really scares me when when I've got founders with brilliant ideas who have been told by advisors to raise investment. You're going to need a co-founder. You need to go find a technical co-founder, and they spend all their energy and all their effort trying to find this mystical technical co-founder they don't know anyone they 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 don't know anyone that they trust that they can bring on so they're kind of dating for a technical co-founder and then they're um uh, and they're sort of trying to bring someone in to share that vision with them but then they're like oh but it's my idea do I need to sell it do I need to give them 50% of the company or, or... and if you don't there's a there's a sort of strange dynamic between the co-founders and, and it's it, it feels like it you're, you're trying to force the issue to go and raise some money and actually when we look at our clients there's there seems to be no correlation between success those that have successfully raised investment in co-founding teams and those that have done it in sole founding teams um it, you know you yes it, there, there's a rumor out there but if you can document the right things if you can express what your plans are and who you're going to bring on board to support you because you can't do everything yourself in the first 12 months after raising investment there should be no reason why you can't close your rounds. so yeah it mm-hmm. really scares me when founders are kind of trying to date for a co-founder and it's not more of an organic natural conversation where you've got two people who just share share a vision and want to want to work together
0: mm. yeah that's interesting I mean I've uh, just speaking from experience I am yeah, on my journey my journey raising capital and you know that I would I would do things differently if I if I was to redo it um first for, for a starter i think uh, robot mascot would have been a a good choice um yeah. in my case, i focused on i mean you know having a great idea, developing a great brand, thinking that it was up to me to raise the money when I didn't really have any experience for really. i mean i i was successful to a point um but actually the valuation was too high you know um i ended up putting a lot of my own money in which actually i mean i've got you know major skin in the game, but i think having working with somebody that um you know ha- has these proven processes in place and uh you know I, th- I think it would have been probably a slightly easier journey um yeah but of course better, sometimes you, you just have you to learn yeah, you have on. to learn yeah you just yeah. have to learn it's by doing sometimes uh so yeah.
1: um so yeah, i think you,
0: um yeah go ahead
1: no i was just say you know everything is a we can all look back at our entrepreneurial journey i think and kind of say you know i wish i'd done it differently but that's only because you know what you know now right and if i was to go and set up a new business tomorrow i'd be able to, i'd have 10 plus years entrepreneurial experience to go and do that and all of the mistakes i've made all of the things i did wrong that took you know a lot of time to get where we are now would be wouldn't happen and we'd we'd be able to to scale quite rapidly we'd get to the point we're at now in not ten years because it's nearly ten years since Nick set up Robot Mascot.
0: Is it really? Wow. Yeah.
1: Cool. Yeah. So so overnight
0: success, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> yeah, it. It's like... Like, wow, You're <laughs> smashing it. You're... It's like ten yeah, years yeah. it's been. Um, eight years of that was completely wasted time, right? Or or it wasn't because we were learning and we were figuring out this this game called entrepreneurship. Um, but everyone looks at the success and they go you've just suddenly popped on the scene a few years ago and, and look at uh, you're doing so well that no one sees the, the eight years of of blood, sweat and tears that got us there. And and I think a lot of people launch a business seeing the, the public bit, the bit where you sort of someone suddenly become aware, they've become aware of it and they see that growth over 18 months and they're like, wow, I want to do that. This is, and then when they don't get that and it takes them, you know, five years on and there's, you know, you should be, if you're if you still exist as a business after kind of the first year the second year third year the fifth year like you should be celebrating that you just exist not that you (laughs) you know don't worry about growth targets like this the failure rate of businesses Mm. is so high in the first one to three years just surviving is a is a should be celebrated as a massive massive result um but obviously the media doesn't doesn't talk about the people who just survived they talk about the the incredible overnight successes um and and i think it's important to if you're going into this entrepreneurial journey to to have some context that it can take years just to kind of get that foundation to then grow from um yeah no it it depends on different business we're a consultancy so it's very different to kind of a tech Product that's gone to gone gone and raised hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of pounds to kind of launch. You, you would expect quicker growth than than a bootstrapped consultancy that's kind of reinvested all their profits and and time and effort into growth and kind of hustled. Things take longer, right? So so it it depends on the context of the of the business, but yeah, you, you've got to expect there to to take much longer than you than you perhaps anticipate and and to take the rough with the smooth and be relentless if you really believe in this vision you have for this business you just have to Mm. just keep going and be relentless and and not give up
0: um so yeah no no it's it's interesting isn't it i think you you certainly need to be uh pretty determined almost obsessive you know tenacious i don't know but smart too you know there's also you know when, when do you when do you stop you know um when do you pivot uh as well just just out of interest um of all the entrepreneurs you you've worked with over the last few years especially the last few years what traits do you do you see a pattern in um in in traits that kind of I guess gravitate towards success you know what what are the successful traits of an entrepreneur or
1: yeah any any so dynamics
0: any these. patterns that you've seen emerge
1: yeah. I think I talk about these in my book and um you know one of those is what I just mentioned relentlessness you just keep going you get you get knocked down you get back up again it's just uh, and that comes you know so you so you just have that that belief and you're just relentless you will just keep going and you won't give up um and I guess that stems from the other trait that that I talk about which is just conviction, just pure conviction in your ability and the the um concept the vision the the idea that you have for your for your business you know entrepreneurs have complete conviction and they're completely relentless so so let's look at you know the the richest man in the world right now elon musk right we think whatever you think of him and he's you know he's obviously always in the media um for one reason or another but if you look at his story and you look at kind of where what happened with tesla and where he was with spacex like he was completely convicted on getting humans to mars we take spacex as an example and he was completely relentless in going there he he had so many failed failed flights that most mm-hmm. people would have given up i'm never going to be able to do it and then then finally he managed to get that that first rocket off the ground and and in orbit and, and was then the first private commercial company to do so and won a multi billion dollar contract from from the us government because he had one rocket that went into space after having three or four failures, I think. Yeah, it's incredible, millions. isn't it? He just, he would not give up. And, and he said, we're only doing three. I think he said to his team, we're only doing three. I've got enough money to do three. And then he managed to f- scrape together enough kind of used, unused parts to build a fourth rocket. So he had three attempts three failures and he was like Mm -hmm. i'm not giving up and he him and his team managed to scrape together enough scrap metal and enough unused parts from the previous three rockets to build a fourth rocket and that was the one that went into went into orbit and, and was a success um and he just pushed the team to to find a way to give it one last try um and and whatever you think of his sort of man management and he's you know and he's quite pretty erratic it's that belief, that conviction, that relentlessness. He was not going to fail at this, um, and and then obviously the rest is is history. And and you know every entrepreneur, whether it's the richest guy in the world or whether it's me standing here as as co-founder of Robot Mascot, has been through that journey of struggle to get to to get to that point of of you know success, whatever success is in your own, in your own eyes. So, yeah, yeah you've
0: no, there's that. that. Yeah, there's that. Um, it's a good documentary, isn't there, on the BBC at the moment uh yeah yeah Elon, the, the Musk, Elon story Musk story and, story, and it yeah. is absolutely incredible uh when Elon's Elon Musk's first rocket oh well, sorry third rocket blew up it's like and yeah. he kept going it is it is absolutely incredible yeah. like i said whether you You're like him or not Tesla, it's like Marmite right? isn't you either love him or hate him but uh yeah he's they, uh he,
1: they were running out of cash Tesla and he took a massive gamble a massive risk of kind of launching it on the stock market and everyone people bought, bought loads of his shares and and it was people weren't expecting that at all and and yeah almost became the richest man in the world overnight and yeah it was an incredible risky move but he just believed that people would see you know the public would see the value more than investors and people yeah. wanted he was building um and they did and they bought his shares um yeah. he just had complete conviction so yeah, you, you've got to have a bit of that if you're going to succeed. If it's a, it, yeah, you've got to be you've got to be completely dedicated to it. You can't build a successful business as a side hustle. You have to take that leap uh, of faith at some point and kind of go, I'm, I'm, quitting everything else. I'm quitting my job. I'm, I'm focusing on this full time. This is the time is now. You can you can do some testing and validation on the side and, and use your paycheck to kind of fund some of that testing and validation. But at some point, if you're you have to take that leap of faith and you have to just go, regardless of what happens, I'm focusing on this because I believe in it. And, and you, you've just got to do it.
0: Yeah, you, you bring up a good point, actually, because, um, in fact, funnily enough, my wife and I were talking about this yesterday. My wife has an interior design agency and she's a very good interior designer. But um, it's taken years of work to actually get it get it going. Um, and now she's diversifying and doing other stuff. Um, but, you know, she we made a decision for her to leave her job focus on that um but it was literally two years before we really saw anything come through um and you know the the, again whether it's a myth or not everyone there's, there's a hundred different ways to skin a cat but you know in an ideal world you want a job that pays the paycheck and then you you know you put your time into your venture on the side and then when it's making enough money you then jump from one to the other i mean that that's kind of the That's Mm. what everyone's led to believe, but, but it does take, you know, incredible focus and commitment to really drive anything of value. Um, And I I know that work, I know that model works, but it's just interesting to know whether that is the norm or whether yeah, I mean, it unless depends got, on your family situation, doesn't yeah,
1: it? If you've, unless you've got your own personal wealth to to then employ people or you're able to raise investment, it's unlikely that you're going to raise investment for a side hustle. They're going to want you fully committed to this. Yeah. So really that leads to whether you have friends, family, or your own money to to um, employ other people so you can keep your job, which just seems mm-hmm. bonkers. <laughs> like yeah. you, you have to have full-time bodies on this during working hours. The first right. few years is hustle you have to be meeting people you have to be pitching the vision you have to be opening doors you have to be building partnerships with with people who can get you into the right room to to talk to the right customers like all of these things have to happen and you can't do that from your laptop in your home office uh, yeah. on an evening and a weekend you you have to you have to take that leap and you have to be kind of commit all your time you know the the first few years of robot mascot we were you know spending all day networking uh, events and speaking to people and traveling wherever we had to across the country to sort of meet people just to just to have those conversations and open those doors and all the work all the delivery ended up happening at evenings and weekends you know mm-hmm. the, the the daytime was spent trying to find business and build relationships and partnerships and the, the evenings and weekends was when we actually delivered the projects for clients and did the work um because there just wasn't enough hours in the day to 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 get everything to get everything done and you've yeah you've just got to be completely committed to to Mm -hmm. to making this happen um if you you have any level of success i think
0: yeah and if i I think about my journey i mean i I left a well-paying job um ended up cashing in my pension in the u.s (laughs) spent all my pension and borrowed a bunch of money you literally and and i've got you know family of five um i wouldn't recommend it guys no. It's been tough. I mean, but it's most a, people yeah, but... would say
1: <laughs> m- most normal people would say you're mad. But for most yeah. entrepreneurs, that that it makes I'm... total sense to do that because I'm completely convicted on my idea and it's going to be a success and and it's going to this is going to be massive and it's going to be you know I'm building value here that's going to massively outstrip the value of the pension I've just cashed in. Yeah, like, exactly, gonna pay, I'm going to pay that back tenfold if not thirtyfold in in five years time. Like that's that's the mentality of a of a of a visionary of a, of an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the lengths that, that many will go to, to to get it off the ground and to make it happen Um but most yeah. normal people would say you're completely mad <laughs>
0: like, I think you have to be uh, a little bit mad I mean yeah, there's been yeah. times where I've been to- I, I realise now totally delusional <laughs> and I admit it hands up yeah. it's almost like you, but you have to go through it um, every entrepreneur is so. in, in, in some way um, <laughs> like but, they just have yeah
1: it's just complete faith and conviction in their own idea and their own ability
0: so let's talk about um let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the different types of investment so let's just say yeah this one of our listeners is ready to you know take that entrepreneurial plunge however wh- however they're going to do it they've got this conviction they really want to go for it can we go kind of go back to basics as far as the different i mean number one do you do you need investment is that you know or is that you know do you not need it um you know yeah. what are the different investment channels? and then you know um is it can we talk about taking the wrong investment because yeah. not all even though it's all money but it's not all i know there's it's well, it's actually but well, you can kind of go into that um, we we both know that that isn't the case but um could you kind of walk through you know what this yeah, old, let, young let, entrepreneur is going to face what well, whatever stage of life they're at they could be in their yeah, 40s they so could yes. be in their 20s yeah so should we
1: start with do you need to raise investment because that's a really yes. important yes. question let's start there a, a lot of founders think that they perhaps it's should right I keep talking, uh, and a, and a, you know they perhaps think think they should raise investment, and perhaps they're they're entitled to to it. And that there's loads of loads of stories of founders raising investment, and um, they 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 think that they should be able to to also do the same. But but not every founder needs to needs to raise investment, and and it, only certain types of business. Business models and 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 ambition should raise investment. So in my mind, there's two different types of businesses, right? There's a lifestyle business, which is building a a consultancy uh, type business with sort of eight to ten, maybe twelve employees, turning over a few million a year. Um, that type of business isn't the sort of business that you would raise investment for. If you if you want to have like robot mascot, right? We haven't raised any investment in terms of cash um, because we set this up to be a lifestyle business something that we that we enjoy I've got a young family um I really don't want the the pressure of, of of delivering shareholder returns so it's not the right sort of business to raise huge amounts of investment you might be able to get a little bit a few grand here and there from friends family and, and close associates that, that that see see the value in what you're doing but you're not going to be able to raise huge huge sums of money for for a lifestyle business generally speaking you you, you know you, you're you're limited to the value in which that's going to be and, and you're if you're building the business to be your retirement plan this is something that you want to do for the rest of your life and you're going to maybe sell the business when it's uh when it when, when you retire or hand it over to a family member or hand it over to to someone within the company to to have their shot at running the company um, and you've made your money out of it and you're just going to step back that's not the type of business that needs to raise investment. The ones that raise investment are performance businesses, ones that see themselves growing from a fledgling business into a multi-million pound enterprise with 30 to 40 plus staff, tens of millions in revenue, and a valuation of of sort of 50 million plus. If if that's what you want to build, then you need to go and raise investment for it because you need, you know, there is lots of the, there's gonna be massive cash flow gaps in getting there. you can't bootstrap that you're gonna to have to spend a huge amount of money up front to get the kind of the, the, the systems the processes the, the technology or the or the intellectual property built um, to launch it into the market to get customers at speed you know you, you're going to need to raise investment for that um, so this has to be something that you could build into an exitable position within five years If if you're not if you've not got that focus, then it's unlikely that you're going to to be the right type of business to raise investment. So most unicorn businesses, billion dollar businesses, have the average is that it's taken seven years for them to build from startup to exit. Obviously, okay, some wow. are shorter, some are much longer, but seven years is the average. We've been doing robot mascot 10 years. We're not a unicorn. I can tell you that. Right. So these are rapid growth. And to achieve that rapid growth, they are um, and that billion dollar valuation. They are spending huge sums of money to get there and they therefore need external capital to make that happen. So investors are looking to invest in that type of business, the one that that is going to be worth millions, multi-millions in, in a short space of time, um, generally speaking. There's obviously variants. There's people that you know, if you you've got a restaurant chain that maybe isn't quite hitting those levels, but you need investment for a new for a new store. But you're still looking at a chain, you know, not a single restaurant, but a chain of restaurants that's going to be worth multi-millions. Now the returns might not be quite as big as a tech company, but they're still going to be delivering, you know, millions of pounds in 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 returns um so yeah so so the question of whether or not you should raise investment or not very much hinges on the type of business you're trying to build um and if it's a, a lot of people approach us building lifestyle businesses wanting some cash to get the get the business off the ground it's gonna be very difficult to to convince investors friends and family maybe but investors probably not
0: okay so you you talk about lifestyle business Can you describe what that is I I mean you you did a little you touched on it that it could be you know several well, it could be millions in revenue but with a small team what does that enable yeah. that entrepreneur to to do i mean it's so they two that, different that's
1: going to be more sort of fun flexibility freedom um you know you 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 work because you enjoy it um you, you're not beholden to shareholders you're not having to you're not having to look at, at growth um necessarily only because you want to you know it's self-sustaining it pays people it's it's an income generating asset not a value creation asset that i think that's the difference so the, the valuation of the company may not be huge but it pays you a good salary it allows you to have a, a core cool team of people that you enjoy working with you're a small team, you're very tight knit, you get on really well, you all enjoy working together, you're all pushing for the same things. Um, you're able to pay them decent salaries, you're able to give them bonuses, you're able to do cool stuff or way days that you all enjoy, you know, and you you are profitable and you're happy and you're earning a good living out of it. Right. And 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 it's about having that work life balance really, hence lifestyle is okay. performance business is a very different mindset that that is as soon as you bring on investment that is no longer about you having fun this is about you having that relentless attitude for hitting growth and you get the fun you have that buzz for you know you will work constantly to achieve that goal of hitting 50 million you'll work you know um as many hours as you possibly can you'll probably sleep in the office you you will just push and push and push to get that growth and and You want to deliver shareholders those returns because you'll get the returns, too. But it's very much like you now have shareholders who are saying, where's the growth? Where's the where's where are we building value? How is the valuation of the company increasing? Because I'm only going to get a return. If I give you a million today, I need that to be worth 10 million at least, if not 30 million in in five years time. How are you building valuable assets in the business that are going to that are going to allow us to sell this for a huge value to an acquirer, whether that be mm-hmm. whether that be a competitor that wants to buy you out, or whether that be uh sort of some kind of trade sale, or whether that be a launching onto a stock market and, and doing an IPO. Like we, we need to see that plan for growth and we need to have this relentless pursuit of building value within the the asset of the business um, mm-hmm. rather than looking to have a good income and a, and a fun life. So there's there's three different kind of business models, if you like, three, and, and they go hand in hand with this idea of a lifestyle business and a performance business. So so one is you set up the business with a business plan that is all about how to create income. And that would typically be a, a lifestyle business. You draw as much money out of the business as you can while keeping it afloat so that you can have a happy life. Um, the other is is a growth plan. Which is how much value can we create in the business? I'll forego I'll I'll take a minimal salary because all of my all of the value for this business is in the equity for me. I don't need a salary. I'll just take what I need to live, I'll pay my staff a, a decent wage, and every single penny will go back into the business. We won't declare any dividends to anybody. Every penny goes back into the business to achieve this level of growth this sort of 50 million target or 100 million target we have for the value of the business and everything goes back into achieving value in the business Um, and then finally you have an exit plan which comes at the end if you do want to then exit that that high growth business then create a you then sort of focus on preparing that for exit and preparing it for sale and you have a a period of time where your where your business plan is focusing on how do we transition this from a growth business into something that's extable um that's something that people want so it's kind of having that clear understanding of when you start this business am i building lifestyle or performance therefore yep. my business strategy is it focused on income or growth is everything going back in the business or are we doing this to take money out of the business now there's a little bit of a you know obviously an income business needs to grow and therefore certain but you might declare fifty percent of your profit goes back into the business and fifty percent is declared as dividends for the for the for the founders or the directors or the, the shareholders so that they can that you can earn earn from that business. If it was a pure growth business, you wouldn't declare any dividends and you would just put every piece of profit back into the back into the business to to grow the value of the company.
0: Yeah. It's a really, really um great distinction, actually. Um I mean everyone, you know, is on their own journey Um, and if you're an entrepreneur then you know you might change I mean in in my case I think I was convinced I wanted a performance business and I'm still on the fence a little bit there Um, but actually um, having a lifestyle business where you've got more time with your family um, and you know and and time to do fun things but you know still still having the ambition to to grow you know a a multi-million pound business but actually doing it in a way that actually you've still got a bit of time so i think i'm in that but i've kind of moved from you're happy
1: for growth to be slower um as a result of that um because you're you're valuing time with your family just like me right my my priorities definitely changed when i had my first child we started robot mascot i was you know had no children no real commitments i could work all hours and and that allowed me to get robot mascot off the ground um now i've got kids it's like actually you know i want to i want to spend time with them and when perhaps when they are you know when they're sort of 13 14 they they kind of care about you less they're like they don't want to hang out with mummy and daddy anymore um perhaps that's the time <laughs> which i'll look i'll I'll position myself back into kind of the mindset of growth and, the, uh, sure. and so at the moment we are growing Robot Mascot and we're growing it rapidly. We've uh, we've achieved kind of two, 300 percent growth year on year for the last yeah. the last few years. But well, we started we were starting from a fairly low base mind, um, but we're not in a relentless pursuit of growth. We are growing and we intend to continue growing, but but we also need to have that. You know, it's very important for us to have that lifestyle element to it um, at this at this point in time as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's tricky getting that balance right because you, yeah. you're in your head, you're like, I want to be here, and then, or in your heart, you're probably, like, I want to be here, and then your head says, well, maybe we're not going to get there next year. Maybe that will take three years because we're not going to go raise investment. We're not we're not going to be sort of beholden to shareholders, and, and we want to have, sort of have a period of time where there's a where there's this focus on lifestyle. Um, yeah. It's a yeah, it's a very different mindset and you have to be prepared to to throw everything at it because you've got other people's money on your line. You're you're the custodian. If you raise investment, you're the custodian of someone's cash. Someone has trusted you with hundreds of thousands, if not millions of pounds of their money on the promise that you're going to turn that into 10x to 30x the value, if not 100x. Like VCs are expecting like 100x. So they give you a million, they're spe- expecting 100 million back.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Like, it's your responsibility yeah. to make that happen once you take that money.
0: So why don't we <clears throat> just kind of delve into that? The different investors and the motivation. So you we've we've obviously got angels, we've got VCs, and then there's there's PE, you know, after I guess when they're ready mm. to scale. Um I think for folks listening that are considering starting a business, I think, yes, do you want to build a lifestyle business business or a performance business? Um, and then the different investor profiles it, could you can you talk through the different like the pre-seed seed
1: yeah
0: and so yeah um, different, scale different rounds of
1: of investment oh. and they, they
0: a. Okay. come
1: across again i kind of articulate this in my book i, I use the uh, kind of a fundraising journey as a as a as a process to talk about this
0: but essentially a great have, book everyone by the way so what's <laughs> it, invest, it's called investable entrepreneur investable by entrepreneur, james yeah. by james church Um, it's 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 a it's a definitely a must read for anyone that's considering (laughs) starting a business thank you so
1: basically there's there's four key phases of of a business but and we're talking about ones that will potentially go on to raise investment now so we're looking at performance businesses um there's four key phases the first is the bootstrapping phase that's where you have to invest your own cash your own money um or friends and family money um into so you you might sell a small equity in your business to friends and family they just want you to succeed they have no real they have no idea whether you're going to be successful or not but that you're going to give them some shares in return for sort of seeding you kind of a maybe 10 20 50k to to kind of build a prototype or get something off the ground or or pay for your living while you focus on this full time and that's either your own cash or it's uh sometimes friends and family um the the invest into the business but they're really investing in you they're not investing mm-hmm. in the concept they're just supporting you um that's the the period where you really want to be kind of proving the concept getting validation um trying to prove that this is a concept worth pursuing and it's something that could scale and could scale massively um, and there's a real interest basically it's something the market wants and it's something the market needs and you've got the evidence to prove it uh, that's what you're trying to do in the bootstrapping phase um and that could be your first round of investment, like I say, self-invested or, or in friends and family. You then move into the um, startup phase. And this is where you're trying to get from an early stage concept where you've proven the market need, but you're trying to build something. You're trying to launch something and you're trying to get to usually your first kind of million pound in revenue in terms of in terms of annual annual revenue. Or if you're a, a subscription business, 80K a month in in recurring revenue there's um three kind of phases three investment rounds associated with this startup phase or two two really two main uh, and and that's pre-seed and seed so pre-seed is your first sort of 150 maybe up to 300k in investment usually from a from an angel investor or or a number of angel investors um that are that are kind of they're either professional investors or they're high net worth individuals. Perhaps they're people used to your ex boss or um, founders of other companies who have capital and they are looking to invest. Maybe they really understand your sector really well. Maybe they're potential clients of the future and they see the opportunity here and they want to be a part of, of that journey because they can they can they really understand the niche. They're probably the most likely people to invest at a pre-seed stage. So they're going to invest kind of um, uh yeah, to around about 150 to 300k usually in a in a business. But there there are examples where a piece of financial technology, a client of ours, has raised 700k as a pre-seed round with nothing more oh, wow. than a click of a prototype. Pretty
0: so hard. these are
1: just general rules, and they can they it could be much more or much less. There, there's people that have raised millions of pounds in pre pre-seed, but usually, typically, you would say it's sort of 150 to 300k. Um, just to prove, build the prototype and sign up your first few customers. That's that's really the, the goal. Um, so you're you're kind of proving that you can build something, a very early version, not all the bells and whistles, but just a very early version that solves the main problem. And you're signing up your first few users or customers to it. Um, that's the pre-seed. Then once you've achieved that and you've maybe got your first kind of couple of grand a month in, in revenue, really small early revenues, you could, you're then in a position to raise your seed round. And the seed round is all about kind of doing a, a more formal market launch and trying to get this to a million in revenue. Like uh to a to a point where you've got 80K a month in recurring revenue or, you, or your annualized revenue is is in and about a million a million pounds or a million dollars, depending you know, just just that million number is a it doesn't really matter the currency. That million that million number is is the important the
0: important
1: thing. <laughs> um so that's what you're using that money for and you're you're usually going to kind of early stage funds or you're going to more sophisticated angel investors perhaps your original angel investors are reinvesting in in this round because you've achieved success and they want to continue to be part of the journey and they want to they want to keep their shareholding um and then the the third round is is where you start to transition from startup into growth and that would be your series a round and that usually only kicks in like i say when you when you hit that million revenue mark that's usually when People try to raise Series A prior to that, and you can, and it depends on the business model and the sector. And and but as a general rule, you're you're hitting that million revenue. Once you hit that million in revenue, you'll actually have venture capitalists come to you, and it's usually the venture, mm-hmm. venture capitalists that are that are, that are investing at in that Series A round. They'll start seeking you out when when you start hitting that million revenue mark, and kind of saying, "Do you need investment? Like you're doing well. We want to be. We want to know. Mm-hmm. So." They're, they're typically looking at uh, investing you in at that stage and, and we're talking you know series a rounds are typically kind of three million plus could be 10 million so it's sort of three to 10 million again sometimes more again the the fintech client we had that breaks all the rules like 700k pre-seed instead of the usual 300 that would be sort of stated in in kind of most kind of averages went and raised just closed of around 40 million as a seed round mm, they not not a few million that you might you know a seed round you might raise anything from from sort of 300k up to up to 2 million they raise 40 million you know the 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 series a you would be looking typically three to ten but there's people are raising 20 30 50 million pounds series a rounds. so so this is all kind of general ballparks but but you get to that series a you're you're hitting a million revenue and the goal with the series a cash is to rapidly grow market share Um, grow your market penetration um, start to transition from kind of early adopters to kind of a more of a majority of the market um, or an early majority of the market using you um, and really start to show that there's real real growth and then it can keep going from there they just start adding letters so it's series b series c series d spacex i think are on a series j like it can just (laughs) just keep going and keep going and you just keep raising more and more and more now as a general rule uh, obviously, the more rounds you raise, the more equity you sell and the more diluted you become and the less you own of your company. And that always scares a lot of founders. But you have to realize that the value of the company is growing each time. So and in the beginning, you're bootstrapping and you own 100 percent of something that's valued at nearly zero. It's an idea. Maybe it's maybe it's worth a few hundred K. Um, you own 100 percent of a few hundred K. Um, by the time you get to series A, um you might own after your series A round, you might own maybe forty-five, fifty-five percent of the company. So you've you've sold half of the company. But your company's gonna be worth maybe twenty, thirty million. Yeah. So you own half of of thirty million. You own fifteen million now.
0: Yeah, your, smaller your piece of a bigger pie,
1: basically. So you've got a smaller piece of a bigger pie. So as a general rule, it's always like, how much equity should I therefore sell at, at each round? As a general rule, friends and family round around about five percent that for that first friends and family money if you need it at that bootstrapping phase. Then the pre-seed, seed, and Series A, on average, when you look at kind of a billion dollars worth of deals, is fifteen percent.
0: Okay. In, in Europe,
1: so you tend tend to sell about fifteen percent on average. Could be as much as twenty five percent, but uh, around uh, depending on how much you're raising. Uh, if you're raising too much. More than what your valuation can sustain, you're going to sell more more of your company. But typically speaking, you're aiming for selling about 15 percent each time. So by the time you've got to your Series A, 15 percent per round, 5 percent in that um, pre-seed, you should still just about have 50-ish percent of the company, maybe a bit less, maybe a bit more um by by the end of it. And and remember you you and your shareholders get diluted each time. So someone who's bought 15% of your company in the first round will end up owning less than 15% by the time you've done two or three rounds because their shares are being diluted. I'm not going to go into dilution in detail here, but it's worth Googling dilution because it's an important factor when you're looking yep. at selling equity in your in your company and understanding what what that means to to your shareholding um yeah. but yeah that's the general principle um of, of the funding
0: yeah it's it's a it's an interesting isn't it? i mean every every journey is a little different but um i guess you know there's one school of thought to boot, you know bootstrap as long as possible but then if you need to accelerate the growth and you need to that timing in the market you might need to actually raise more sooner you yeah. know if you have that product market fit if you're still trying to figure out that product market fit then it's probably better to to keep bootstrapping or you're you know, going really to really struggle to
1: convince sophisticated investors to invest in you without any evidence or traction or or product market fit um you have to have that in place really to to attract anyone even more so now than than ever like with with the current um state of the economy there's still loads of money being invested we're we're seeing you know already we're, we're we're not quite it doesn't look like we're quite on track to hitting the kind of 120 billion that was invested across europe in 2021 but we've already beaten 2020's record. So it's already definitely the second biggest record uh, uh, year on, on on record across Europe for, for startup investment. Whether it will hit, hit the heights of last year because of the current economy, probably not. Um, but it's still a, a massive amount of money being invested. So, so it's not the case that there isn't the money you need to just you need to just make sure that you've got. Um, really solid evidence and traction and you can really document that this is something the market wants and something the market needs because investors are being more considerate about their their decision making gone are the days of the this is a great idea we're just going to throw a load of cash on it at it and hope for the best um, they're being much more considerate they're taking longer to make their decisions they're doing more due diligence before they pull the trigger before they sign the deals. so so you need to be much more prepared than, than you were perhaps 18 24 months ago
0: Yeah, it's interesting. That was really insightful. Thank you so much for going into uh, that bit of detail. That's really helpful for our listeners. Um, So um, just about robot mascot. So obviously, you have described in a range of different businesses that you've supported up to, you know, 40 million and maybe some of the other ones, uh, you know, they need less of a seed round. Um, who is your perfect customer? So um, for those listeners out there, that could actually be potential customers for Robot Mascot. Yeah. Um, could you quickly describe your perfect customer? I know we're kind of running out of, we're kind of getting yeah. so, close to the end of our time together.
1: Yeah. So um, we, we typically work with founders who are seeking that sort of pre-seed, seed and series A funding. So so anything from sort of 150, 200K up to, like I said, we've had one client close 40 million recently. So um yeah typically, typically speaking um it's rounds of anything from 200k up to 5 million is the is the is the norm um and that's like i say usually their pre-seed seed or series a so they're they tend to have gone through the bootstrapping phase they've got the friends and family money oh, 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 oh a bit of siri there for what? you um so so they've <laughs> gone through the the friends and family round um they've bootstrapped it themselves they've got substantial evidence that that this is something the market wants something the market needs maybe they've got surveys focus groups quotes testimonials to suggest that this is something that's worth building maybe they've built a very early prototype they've got some visuals of what they want to build you know they've they've got something beyond an idea but they perhaps don't have their first customer yet that's probably the earliest point in which we would get involved um and then sort of any point from there until until you're you know once once it gets series b onwards it tends to be more of an in-house process you've got you've got a team of 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 people in house that would that would manage the fundraising and perhaps we're we're not needed quite so much um
0: so you'd design you'd basically take them through you would look at their deck you would create a new deck if they needed one you'd basically look at what they have and basically create the narrative and then help build the presentation or build the Build the, yeah,
1: yeah, so there's three the pitch. Yeah, three core deliverables really when, when working with us. The, the 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 one that everyone thinks of is the pitch because that's the thing that's the, at the front of the, the the process. That's the thing you present to the investor straight away. Um, so of course we help with that. We structure the narrative. We get the business case across in a clear, articulate way that that um, gets the investor's interest. Um, but remember the pitch is just the trailer um of the movie. It's just the thing that opens the conversation. The the idea of the pitch isn't to pitch for cash, it's to pitch for time. Um no one is pitching for investment when they when they pitch their business. They're pitching for that investor to to see the potential and that it's gonna be worth their while spending time with this founder. So it needs mm, to change pitch. It needs to get them excited by the concept. Excited by the idea and go, wow, this is something the market wants. It's something the market needs. I can see the value in this. Um, It's being adopted by the market. This is an incredible concept. The second thing it needs to do is say this founder or this founding team are incredible. Uh, They've got a great strategy for growth. They really understand their niche. They know how they're going to grow this company. They're going to uh, deliver me a return as an investor. It's going to be worth my time sitting down with them and finding out about this in more detail. So you're pitching yourself as much as you are your idea with that pitch and that pitch needs to achieve those two things. That then opens up a conversation with investors, a series of meetings and a, and a due diligence process. And through that process, you're going to need to present um, a set of financial forecasts that are going to cover kind of your, your p and your cash flow and your balance sheet position over a sort of a five year growth period. Um, and you're going to need to be very clear and, and articulate on your business case and your business strategy for how you're going to in, in the short and the long term. How are you going to deliver um and, and execute your plan to get to your next big strategic milestone? So you can go and raise the next round of funding, because that's usually what what that next strategic milestone is, get to a point where I can go and raise more to continue the growth journey. Um, and then beyond that, how do we actually Get this business into an exitable position. How do we move it from an unprofitable startup that's relying on third-party cash to fund it and grow it into a position where it's a highly profitable business that um, someone that's going to have people queuing up to want to buy it? Um, and you need to have a strategy in place for that. So when we first launched as a business, it was all about the pitch, and we noticed that lots of mm-hmm. founders we were working with were getting lots of meetings with investors, but not enough for our liking. We're closing the deal. And it's mm-hmm. when we researched into that and realised you need these other fundamental assets in place. You need the business plan. You need the pit. You need the present. Uh, the, the financial projections. After that, to successfully convince an investor. Once we package that up as a as a deliverable, if you get all of these three assets through working with us, and you have this clear plan for commercial success you've got this implementation strategy that an investor can believe in you've, you're financially astute you really understand the financial performance the business needs to achieve to to get the type of exit you're looking for and you have the pitch to get open the door and get the meeting um when you pull all that together suddenly we start getting clients that are 40 times more likely to raise investment and and uh, are raising 40 million pound seed rounds because they've got everything um, they need in yeah. place.
0: I so think what, yeah, just from my, yeah, from my experience, what we what, yeah, we um, engaged two firms. What well, one was to kind of look at the business plan and numbers, the other one to do the branding. And actually I can see that if, if those two are kind of aligned and, and like the same people, <laughs> I can yeah. see actually they it, 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 kind of integrates quite nicely, kind of dovetails in really nicely. Well, that's really good. Okay. I've got a couple of closing questions. I know we're kind of, yeah. uh, we're over the hour here. Uh no, so um what do you what do you know to be true that most people disagree with you on? Um, um that's one question.
1: Great ideas don't raise investment, great communication does.
0: Okay. Excellent. Brilliant. Mm. Well that that's a very yeah. succinct uh, response. Um any books that uh have kind of impacted you uh, you know, any any books that have kind of stood out in the last yeah. apart from your own, of course. Um well, of course in the, man, la- in the that, last uh, in the last year or so. Um, you'd recommend. A yeah,
1: book that changes your life isn't the one you you read, it's the one you write, in in my experience. That's what my mentor told <laughs> me, Daniel, um, and he's Oh, so very good. Correct. Um, very, very true. But beyond my own book, in uh, it would be Daniel Priestley's books, Key Person of Influence, 24 Assets, they're, they're must-reads, I think, for any entrepreneur. Um, uh, what else? Uh, I'm just going to look at my bookshelf down here. and Then Multiply by David B. Horn. That's a really good book for... For getting an understanding of how to grow businesses, he's got a really good methodology around around not just funding, but funding and acquiring um, companies, and then consolidating them to create value. So, so you can grow a business, not just through growing your current business, but you can do it by buying other businesses and consolidating them, raising funds, going and buying another business and consolidating it into your operation. That's a really great way of thinking about growing a business, especially if you're, if you're more of a lifestyle business that's looking to grow and you don't have a product that's massively scalable, you can still transition that lifestyle business into a highly exitable business by kind of acquiring and consolidating other businesses into a group of companies. Um, so that, mm. that's a great read.
0: Okay, that's interesting. And actually, just listening to you speak earlier on in the, the interview, um, this whole visionary and integrator combo between you and Nick, um, mm. there's a book called Rocket Fuel, by gino wickman which um kind of describes a little bit about you know the visionary and the integrator and how you know if you get the right skill sets together um you can really scale a successful business yeah so um, yeah yeah, so fi- yeah, yeah f- final question um if there was someone you could um sit down and have a coffee with um who would that be
1: oh wow um i guess we talked about him a few times today it would have to be elon wouldn't it just get inside that brain of his uh, it just it would just be a fascinating conversation i think about well becoming a interplanetary species with with chips that can download your brain i think it would just be yeah crazy weird um yeah. but but fun nonetheless so yeah someone something like that i think
0: that's a good one so how do folks find you so um yeah how can folks find yeah robot so um you can follow me on linkedin
1: um always sharing um daily kind of insights into how to raise investment um on, on linkedin so just just search my name james church um you can visit robotmascot.co.uk. and from there there's loads of free resources you can order a free copy of my book you can either if you're outside of the uk you get a, a pdf copy or you can listen to a free version of the audio book if you're in the uk we'll we'll send you a physical copy no postage needed completely free it's completely on us we just want to help you um and guide you in, in raising investments so so check that out and and uh yeah get a copy of the book um and and yeah hopefully it will impact you as much as it's uh, uh, as much as it's impacted uh, yourself so
0: fantastic well it's great having you james i really appreciate your time um no,
1: it's uh... a pr- pleasure to be here
0: yeah, and we'll have to uh, catch up with you in a few years' time, and we'll see see how. Uh, yeah, yeah. See see how you're going. Um, yeah, that'd be amazing. Cool, great stuff. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Okay, take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Rocket Pod. When you get a moment, we'd love it if you could jump across to the platform. You downloaded this podcast on and leave a quick review. We love all your messages. It helps us get exposure to inspire and share more stories like this one. Today's interview with James Church, um, I found was very insightful. A um, couple of takeaways, uh, kind of myth busting. You know, James is partnered with with his one of his best friends. In fact, uh, his business partner was the best man of his, at his wedding. So this can work um, if you if you find the right friend. But he did say that um, you got to put um, you know friendship first and business second. Another thing as well that um, really resonated with me was, you know, what kind of business do you want to build? Do you want to build a lifestyle business to give you freedom and perhaps a good salary and, you know, more time with doing the things you love? Or do you want to commit to a performance-based business where literally everything you put into the business is about driving shareholder value? Of course, these are much bigger businesses, um, and I think we touched on the fact that um, depending on where you are in life, you know, maybe a lifestyle or performance business. These are, you know, imp- critical choices that we have to make. Anyway, I hope you found it interesting. Uh, and if you are a, a budding entrepreneur, hopefully um, this podcast was it was inspiring uh, and helped you kind of think about what kind of business you want to build. Um, and of course, you've got a good partner in, in Robot Mascot if you do want to have some outside help to help structure the perfect pitch and to help get you in front of investors. Anyway, take care and um, have a wonderful week ahead and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.